This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insight on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Spring Conversations. Psychological studies have described and shown the benefits of human-animal relationships on one's health and well-being. It was also found that people did not always need to be among animals to achieve those benefits. Simply looking at animals or their images can have a healthy impact on levels of happiness. Introducing elements of nature to our living space can have a positive impact on our cognition, emotion, and stress management. For over 100 years, physicians have recommended using animals as an additional treatment for illness. For example, to decrease stress levels and pain intensity and to improve moods. Many sources have shown that several factors can unbalance the internal state of happiness. A few important factors that people seem to struggle with will be highlighted, such as the act of blaming external sources. For instance, blaming other people or circumstances for the way we feel. This is not meant to reduce some of life's unpleasant experiences, but rather to understand that everyone has control to some degree over their own feelings. By monitoring our thoughts, one can learn to turn negative thoughts into more positive ones, or at the very least to neutralize the negative ones. Life always comes in waves, and we can learn to make the most of the sense of delight when we attain its heights. Such uplifting feelings teach us to appreciate what we have and enjoy that specific moment. Having experienced life's ebb and flow, we know that there are more than just precious moments. Hardship and difficult times are equally important as they contribute to our internal resources and our resilience by adding contrast to the high notes in our lives. We learn about ourselves and our reactions in order to implement and improve coping strategies. By taking responsibility and realizing that, to some degree, we can control our mindset in the more difficult situations, we are a step closer to increased happiness, writes Katerina Gaborova. In this episode, Valeria interviews Katerina, the author of Viva! Tools for Well-Being. Katerina Gaborova, Master Psychology, was born in Slovakia and is currently a practicing psychologist in The Hague, Netherlands. This was also a place where she opened her own private practice, KG Psychological Services, www.psychologistinthehag.com, in 2009. She has been a huge fan of motivational videos, talks, and inspirational quotes, which inspired her to create her first book, Viva! Tools for Well-Being, published in 2015 by Petra Books in Canada. Since then, she has been creating a variety of motivational tools, workbooks, card decks, books, 
that can be used in therapy or as everyday mentors in people's homes. Katerina has been living in various countries including England, Australia, and Italy. By being an expat, she devoted herself to offer support to the international community. Recently, her main focus is related to the topics of positive psychology, anxiety, trauma treatments, and how our thoughts can influence our physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Here is the interview with Katerina Gaborova. In your own words, who is Katarina Gabrova? I think that she is a complex woman who firstly prioritizes to be a mom of two little girls. And she also she's also someone who really loves different cultures and countries, languages and accents, as you can hear on me as well. And she loves to travel and she also just Laos realizes that the world is a beautiful place full of different corners and filled with various wonderful people. And when we zoom into these people, we can see that they all have different behaviors and uh, different dreams and different purposes. And sometimes these people also cross her path, especially when they come to her practice. So she loves to listen. She's very eager to listen to their stories and what uh, makes them them, basically. And together they try to make sense of that information and they try to search for new goals and new meanings. So she is definitely someone who is fascinated by human mind and she tries to really expand her own mind as well and in a way that benefits to her as well as to people in her surrounding. Sounds incredible. Thank you. Really wonderful. So before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Viva, V-I-V-A, Tools for Well-Being, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. What does it mean to be a human? That's a very big and philosophical question. I think that uh, being human comes to different values that we hold. But also it comes to, I personally believe that we have a part of spiritual body and then we have the physical body and then uh, different aspects that come with the physical body as well. So the way how we react, uh, what are our stress responses, the way how we think, uh, the way how we behave and what we can also do for other people. And then there are also certain values or morals that we have in order to... uh, behave uh, humanly. So for example, if I visualize someone who behaves humanly, someone who has a lot of compassion for other beings and someone who thinks uh, not only of themselves, but also of the whole community, the whole society and tries to leave something behind that is very, uh, very valuable or beneficial for other people as well. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. What is your definition for well-being? Well-being, once again, I think that it's very complex and very uh, very multidimensional. So there are, again, feeling physically fit and well, and also mentally and emotionally. 
And these days, I also believe that people feel more and more drawn to the spiritual well-being as well. Yeah. On a yeah. physical level, it would be probably linked to feeling really fit and making sure that people exercise, take a good care of their body and um, emotionally trying to also have very good relationship in their surroundings and uh, learn to listen to their body, how it reacts, and learn to, for example, even respond differently to stress. And yeah, so there are all these different aspects. That's huge, the way we respond to pressure, right? And I'll be exploring that topic a bit more later on. Continue with my warm-up questions. What is suffering to you? What constitutes suffering? Suffering, I can imagine that it's once again very different for everyone, but I believe that part of it could be linked to perhaps judgment or conditioning that we get from our society. Uh, it could also be conflict between uh, people, so all sorts of pains. It could be linked, as we've mentioned, to the physical body as well as to mental and uh, emotional part of our being. Yeah, there are many kinds of suffering. What is your own definition for strength? This is also a very good question. And once again, most of these answers are very much individually based. But I believe that a strength is, for example, when we are dealing with a very challenging situation and we are not giving up and we are trying to push ourselves through comfort zone like that we continue growing and it also brings a question like we have different um, immune responses as well so on a physical level as well as psychological level and I believe that some people look at it for example that strength is resilience and the way how we are dealing with this yeah right resilience that's a, a very important tool isn't an inner tool Yes, and we have this resilience on a physical level and psychological level. Both, right. Do they work together sometimes, Katarina, the physical and the mental? Or Yeah, I definitely look at our body from a holistic point of view. So it's very difficult just to look at parts of us. I believe that we are really synergy of all of these parts together. Yeah, yes. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom. I can imagine that my answer would be probably quite different from someone who was born in a Western society. I myself was born still during communism in Czechoslovakia. So for me, freedom is definitely being able to express our own ideas and opinions and being able to move freely and travel to different countries. But it's also linked to having some sort of freedom um, on a spiritual level as well, that we accept ourselves and we are true to ourselves and we do not definitely just take into account what other people want us to behave or act like or be like, but that we are free to just almost like carefree, being the way as we truly are. I love that, being true to ourselves. Yeah, I love that definition of freedom. It makes so much sense to me. Uh, at this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And do you have a vision for a new reality? Mm -hmm. I think that what the world needs is probably, I can see the world to be 
slightly restructured. I think that with the way how what's happening, especially in the last few months um, in this world, uh, is that, for example, if we would get more um, education being uh, accepting of other people, being less judgmental, having the world a little bit not divided into things that are right or wrong or left or right, but more having that central part as well, and that we are all part of the whole community. Because I believe that even these days, people have big questions like, shall we wear, for example, facial masks or not? And uh, then if someone is for that, then other people may feel very judgmental and vice versa. So um, I think that it starts with um, bringing some sort of education already from very young age, that when we start, for example, primary schools or even way before that we are spending some time on being mindful, not only in a way of living in a present moment constantly uh, and practicing mindfulness as such, but also being just mindful of actions that we are doing, that whatever I do today may have a profound impact on someone tomorrow and to make sure that we are really not only thinking of ourselves and how we view the situation, but also of um, the whole community. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Do you think that um, after this situation or this experience we are facing, the world would be a different place? I think so. I think that in general, people are slightly moving more to that mindfulness. And I think that part of it as well is that I think that it caused us to slow down. We've been in this huge, uh, very fast pace and we have realized that we could actually go at a slower pace as well. I think that over the last few decades, we've been constantly rushing and we've had all this technology and industrialized world. And we've been forgetting, um, for example, being closer, even just with little things like being closer to our family members or spending more time with them. So I think that um, this situation may have opened our eyes and that suddenly we may do things a bit differently, or at least I hope. Yeah, yeah, me too. I like the way you say this is helping us to remember the important things in life. Yeah. And speaking of important things in life, what is love to you? Love is, I believe, some sort of energy, which can be very different because I think that we have very different love towards our children and towards our parents and friends and teachers, acquaintances and people in general. So there could be perhaps different layers if we want to call it that way. But I could see definitely as some sort of consideration and caring um, or admiration towards someone. Yeah, yeah. And my last warm-up question is about God. What, where and who is God to you? I think that once again, it's some sort of uh, energy. And I think that it's present everywhere within us. Um, and also on the outside. And it also brings me to this um, whole idea that I truly believe that there is life after life. I've had some experiences in childhood that really brought me to that, which we may maybe later on get to. Oh, wow. I never heard it that way. I think you just mentioned, I think I heard you saying life after life. Mm -hmm. 
You did, huh? Yes, I have. That's unique. I never heard of that before. Yeah, you haven't? Wow. <laughs> I love that, Katarina. Life after life. Yeah, oh, life after beautiful. life. I've been actually reading these sort of books already from childhood. I guess that um, my father unexpectedly passed away when I was eight years old. And that really changed me because I've been thinking a lot about, is this all that is to life? Uh, is there something else? Is there some sort of higher energy or God? So I was attending all sorts of classes, reading books. And I also had some experiences where I would sense different things or feel different things. It's highly personal, those experiences that we have of the uh, after life, as you call it, not after death. Um, so that's, and that's true. It's so personal. Yeah, I think so. And I think that those people who have experienced it on a personal level, they kind of go, oh, yeah, I understand what she means. And those people who haven't yet, it can be very much like, well, we don't really have proof. So um, how could that be? We don't really know unless we don't die. So, But in a way, I think that everyone knows that there is something about us, the spiritual component of ourselves, but they are just kind of pushing away, maybe fear, who knows, but... Yeah, it could be. We are also feeling very uncomfortable with anything unknown, uncertain. Right, right. That's the fear of the unknown, right, right. So let's talk about your work. How did you become a writer? Well, it's interesting because I've never really considered myself as a writer as such. But um, the reason why I've created that book was completely innocent. Uh, one day I spent some time with my friend who is a photographer and I was looking at different images. And then I would have different quotes that would pop in my mind. I think that part of it is that I've been always a big fan of different quotes and inspirational videos. So I started writing them down just for myself. And then maybe a couple of months later, I was sitting in the session with a client of mine and he asked me, is there something else that I could do outside of therapy? Because we meet only once per week. What else could I do that I have this feeling like I'm moving faster forward? And then I suggested a few books, but I have realized that if people feel very anxious or they may well, feel really down at a particular moment and don't have a lot of energy, that they do not have a lot of energy to read. So I thought, why don't I actually put together different topics that often arise in the sessions? And I then put these images of uh, nature and animals because studies show that if we are looking at the images of nature, that it has a positive um, effect on our emotions. And then you probably have noticed that the quotes are rhyming in the book because we also know that that if we are reading uh, different information that is rhyming, then it has impact on our learning and memory. So I believe that then even if people do not have a lot of energy, they can just go through that book, pick up the quote that really speaks to them and then read a couple of sentences, what they could possibly do um, to maybe uh, find a new path or uh, different direction. 
and uh, it doesn't have a lot of information. So it's really just a couple of main points. So if someone feels like they would like to know more, then they already have also different terminology that they can use and they can find some extra information. So that's how the book really um, came to light, so to speak. Yeah, and it's beautiful the way you do it. And I agree 100% with the images and that well-being feeling or state of being of mine when we are looking at pictures of nature and animals. That's so true. It's very, very powerful. So let's explore some of the uh, the topics in your book. But before that, I have another question for you. How did you choose or why did you choose to become a psychologist? I think part of it is that my stepfather is a psychiatrist, so I've been always interested in that area. I also mentioned at the beginning how I've been always fascinated by trying to understand human mind and what it comprises of and what people can do as well to continue growing. I've decided to study then psychology and psychophysiology because psychophysiology also has that aspect that we understand how does it function in our body as well. Yeah, that's how I got to that. <laughs> yeah, you're interested in the human mind, exploring the um, thinking. And speaking of thinking, do you have an idea what the mind is and what thoughts are? Mm -hmm. I think that um, we have, our mind is mostly linked to seeking pleasure and we try to really avoid pain in our life. So I think that uh, we try to really find a way how we can survive in our surrounding. And it's also um, a set of thoughts. So you've mentioned thoughts as well. So I think that it also includes different cognitive aspects. So it includes consciousness or imagination, the way how we perceive things, um, even because thoughts, I think, are then the values that we put into them as well and specific judgments. Right, right. And it's also the language that we use. So the way how we express ourselves, it could be also linked to memory. So the memories that we are creating, but also um, it covers some non-cognitive aspects like uh, what we feel. I like that the way you are linked uh, thoughts to meaning. So the meaning we give to our lives or anything, we look at it, they become thoughts. Yeah, because I think that thoughts are quite uh, neutral and then based on the attachments that we put to them. So um, our values that we put next to them, that's how they can be either very powerful in our life or some thoughts just pass very quickly through our mind and we don't really feel them that they are so powerful or that we spend so much time on them. That's true. Yeah, like that's another thing you're saying that's so true and to realize the attachments, yeah, that shows how attached we are to some ideas and concepts, right? Um, so I will start the conversation about your book with a quote that you point out to me. It says, don't let your misfortunes defeat you. Harness your strength and let them lead you. So I have a few questions. The first is, how do we learn to address our pain in a healthy way? 
That's a very good question. And I'm trying to find answers for that for quite a few years now. <laughs> um, but I think that I try to look at our experiences in a way that in general, life goes through ups and downs. And I have noticed one thing that whenever we go through pain, that's also somehow the point that we are learning the most about ourselves. We are becoming more aware of what's happening, what feels uncomfortable, why does it feel uncomfortable, uh, where do we need to be? So I think that what that quote also tries to show is that uh, pain gives us some sort of new insight and new understanding. And then through understanding as well that, well, we've had these experiences very likely in the past and what helped us during those periods to overcome uh, that specific experience that we've had and try to grab, I call them glimpses of light. Like even if we are in a dark tunnel for a while, what can we grab onto that would help us to get through? So that's what it's meant about that um, life comes with all sorts of surprises and unexpected events, and they may feel quite misfortunate at times, but it's really about um, figuring out, okay, well, I've survived something uh, similar or maybe different, but um, something that has given me that kind of insight and learning and how can I use it now to overcome it again. And I also believe that whenever we pass through a stage like this in our life, we are also, yep, some people call it resilience, like we are becoming more resilient. Sometimes I call it more that we are becoming just more aware of who we truly are. And um, I just think as well that none of these periods, even if we are misfortunate for a while, last forever. So if we can pass through that eventually, that's going to be that upward spiral again, and we will be able to come up through that. That reminded me of wisdom, this idea of learning the lessons from painful experiences and then applying that knowledge that I call wisdom. Would you call them wisdom too or simply knowledge? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that it's a really great uh, word for that because we are becoming wiser with every new experience that we have, right? Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, one thing that you said, it's so true, it's just to remember to use that wisdom, apply the wisdom every time we are going through challenges in life. Just remember what have helped so we can use it again. And that's key, I think, remembering. <laughs> it's yeah, easy to forget, absolutely. right, Katarina, when we are going through challenges. Yeah, that's true. That was actually one reason why I've been always so drawn to positive psychology, because I think that it's really a lovely way or uh, a lovely field of focusing on positive aspects of our life. So rather than just focusing on the shortcomings, because of course they are a part of our life, but what can we use at that particular moment to help us through those periods. So focusing on things like happiness or well-being or how we can use uh, some higher potential that we've gained or creativity. So anything, any glimpse of light, as I said before. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Do you have a favorite one, <laughs> a favorite uh, glimpse of light, like uh, kindness, patience, resilience, or 
Yeah, uh, there are a few actually. Uh, I think that uh, practicing random acts of kindness, because I'm a true believer that it's not only, and you've heard me saying this a few times today, it's not only about us, but I really think that we are a part of, we are all one, so to speak. And when we practice random acts of kindness, it's actually well, very helpful for us, even from a neurological uh, point of view. So even if some people say, well, I'd rather take care of myself, but even by taking care of others, for example, we have these neurons, which are called mirror neurons. And when we make someone happy, we other mirror neurons pick up on that and we feel that happiness in us as well. So to come back to your question, random acts of kindness, um, also practicing mindfulness. So even if we sometimes don't know exactly where we need to be or what's going to happen, then taking smaller steps at the time. And even if I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, then it's okay just to focus on the next hour and how to make it the most valuable at that moment. So spending every minute uh, to its maximum as much as we can. Wow. What a wonderful idea, isn't it? Like practice, really, is to be in the moment and address what we need to address now and not to focus so much on the past or future. That is so true. Do you uh, connect mindfulness to meditation, to the practice of meditation? Yes, as well. Absolutely. And I just wanted to point out, because you also were talking about past and future, that from the psychological point of view, when we even think of our thoughts on a timeline, we know that if we have thoughts mostly from the past, then they are more likely to increase our sadness. And if we are really focusing on the thoughts related to future, then they can trigger sense of anxiety and uncertainty. So that's when that mindfulness comes very handy. And yeah, mindfulness, um, I definitely connect with meditation. So um, I think that it's a really lovely way of slowing down and getting in contact with what's happening at that moment. Sometimes I practice mindfulness also with my clients where we also try to just apply all of the senses, like we may find a spot somewhere in the room and you can try to process it visually and auditory and how your skin feels at that time. So trying to, because we hardly ever like we are processing it constantly, but we hardly ever really stop and think about it when it's happening at that moment. So very good point. So meditation, in a way, is the foundation for mindfulness. Do you recommend certain time, like a time frame, 10 minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes a day, or it doesn't really matter? I do not really recommend a time frame because I've noticed that sometimes when I send to my clients half an hour meditation, then they tell me, oh, I don't really have that much time. So I actually believe that what's very important is the frequency. So even if someone does it for a few minutes a day, but it's uh, still better, um, I personally think doing it every day rather than having half an hour meditation, let's say once every two weeks. So that frequency is something that I would definitely emphasize. And then if someone can do it at the beginning just for a few minutes and eventually for um, maybe half an hour or one hour, then people can just find whatever sits with their body the most. 
Yeah, I love this idea also of um, giving people that guiding them um, rather than telling them what to do, <laughs> exactly what to do. <laughs> yeah, and you hear me a lot emphasizing today as well that oh, everyone sees that differently and it's on individual basis, but it truly is, right? Like something what may completely work for me and I may tell you about it and I say, Valeria, just do this and this tomorrow and then you try it and you go, well, it doesn't really feel so great as she was describing. So we really need to find and listen to our body what sits the best with us. And that's why I think it's wonderful that we have so many different techniques, like for some people doing positive visualization, it works great for some people breathing exercises or uh, mindfulness practices. So we can do really so many different muscle tension, relaxation. Yes. We have a lot to choose from. Right. Because we're all unique. That's true. Yeah. I like that acknowledgement. And so let's talk about self-love what is self-love to you and how do we know when we are there, when we are finally loving ourselves? Mm -hmm. I think that that took me years to achieve. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> so Tell I me think, about it. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's, uh, I believe that um, it starts once again from such a young age. I really wish that the school system and educational system would be completely different and that they would apply a lot more practices to understand our mind and how we can control certain things, even with emotions and with thoughts. And because I think then we would understand that self-love much faster as well. So part of it is, I think, in us based on the messages that we receive from our environment as we are growing up and the first connection or bonding. And eventually, I think that it may also come partially with age. The older we are becoming, then the more we may realize that, hold on a second, what my needs are is also as important as of other people and we may start being much more in tune with our own body and making sure that we are nurturing it from inside out and showing it like we love to show compassion let's say to others that we can also show it to ourselves and self-love I would think that has a lot of different um, dimensions as well like it could be linked to our emotions so nurturing those and even let's say if we feel very sad that we wouldn't be judgmental like oh just snap out of it now why are you feeling like this but that we would just sit with it and accept it as it is and part of it would be linked to thoughts because we also have this critical voice in us and we have a very positive voice in us so the minute we start listening to that encouraging voice more I think we are also getting more close with that self-love. So it's once again showing that, sorry, consideration and um, devotion to ourselves or care to ourselves. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I have another question for you about that that I often ask. How do we know the difference between practicing self-love and practicing selfishness? Selfishness? Yeah, being self-centered. Yeah, I think that uh, practicing self-love is to what I have just described a moment ago, listening to uh, what our body needs physically, emotionally, and uh, also sitting with whatever comes out and without a judgment. So that's a really big part of it. And uh, practicing um, selfishness. So... 
or do you mean selflessness? Yeah, no, actually, because a lot of times, unfortunately, some of us confuse self-love with being selfish, like, oh, you know, I'm not doing anything for anyone because I want to take care of myself. And then now you become like very self-centered and you don't really care about others because you believe that self-love. So I wanted to just clarify that what self-love is and what selfishness would look like. Okay, now I understand what you were asking. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept and I've been busy with this uh, maybe two years ago because I have noticed that especially when we come from collectivist cultures, so let's say I'm coming originally from Eastern Europe and we see that also in Latino cultures and so on, that we are from very young age uh, raised to take care of the whole collective and what are the needs of other people. And suddenly I'm currently living in the Netherlands, which is highly individualistic culture and probably the most individualistic of all the countries where I've been. And I've admired that they are raised from a very young age and not to generalize, of course, because there are some um, differences as well on an individual basis and so on. But I've noticed and I think that it's great that they even at schools, because my children go here to school system, that they teach them to really listen to what's important for them and taking care of themselves. However, I believe that uh, anything comes with balance as well. So sometimes there can be that really fine line that, okay, where is the balance and where we are tipping too much on either side. Mm -hmm. So that balance is a key. And if you ask me what is the best recipe for that, once again, I wouldn't know exactly for everyone else. So there are certain um, aspects that I'm noticing on myself when um, I'm feeling that I'm getting out of balance. So for example, if I would do more for others and I'm not really listening what's important for me, my body may start giving me different uh, signals. Like I may start feeling very tired or my tummy, uh, my stomach may not feel quite right if I agree to something that didn't sit with me. And uh, in order to bring that balance back, I just sit with it for a while and I try to explore and then I may come back to that person and talk to them that, oh, maybe I have said uh, yes, way too soon. So is there a way how we can compromise or meet in the middle and things like that? So I think a lot is uh, once uh, people really get in tune with their body, our body can give us so many answers. So a hundred percent. And I also love this, what you just said about balance. Yeah, it's more like finding the balance. And yeah, that's true. Not doing anything in extremes or trying not to. <laughs> Yeah, and it's okay. Like sometimes we make you a bit more, invest more energy into others and it's okay. And occasionally we just uh, need to also do the same for us. And um, then also understanding, because especially if we come from those collectivist cultures, we may have that sense of, but I feel guilty. These people have asked me to do so and so. And like sometimes we can even see that in the sessions that let's say, Imagine that you would be a great artist, you are painting some beautiful images and all you want in your life is to go and study at art school. And I may be your parent and I will tell you, well, but artists may not make as much money. So how about you'd rather become a lawyer, for example? And then you may agree to that. 
and suddenly you realize that you are two years down the track in your studies and that you are not really feeling it and you are not as happy as you were and so on. And that's when we know that there wasn't that balance at that time. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to listening to our inner voice and being authentic, just trusting ourselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess another question that I have for you, it's about teaching children to love themselves. Uh, what is the best way to do that, Katarina? How, how did you do it with your children? I think that I'm trying to, um, children go through different developmental stages and especially right at the beginning of their life, they feel being part of their mother and the parents. And eventually, um, as they are getting into the teenage years, they are um, also becoming themselves and finding their own identity and so on. So I'm trying to give them a lot of encouragement and trying to feed their own voice to make sure that it's very positive, as I said, because we may have the critical voice and very uh, encouraging one, the critical voice we may often pick up through other uh, people. I also try not to tell them no a lot because I think sometimes even if they make certain choices and they may, so of course, if it comes to their safety and so on, I make sure that I pay attention to them. But I'm also trying to let them develop uh, themselves uh, by themselves because I think that the, it really increases that and encourages that they trust in their decisions and who they are. And um, occasionally, even if we may criticize in children behaviors and things like that, um, often children may perceive it as we criticize their character. So that's why I personally am uh, more standing for that positive reinforcement as much as possible. We also do all sorts of exercises at home when, uh, for example, we stick, put different stickers with smiley faces around the house <laughs> and they can say something. Yeah. yeah, and they can say some funny story of the day, what happened, or when they were proud of themselves. So things like that. I think that's, um, and also I think that we are role models. So if we can show to them that, let's say, even if we make a mistake, that we are not beating ourselves up for it for too long, and we can uh, show them that it's possible to actually love yourself or showing some caring and kindness to yourself, then they pick up on that strategy as well. Yeah, I actually like that a lot too, because now it's real life, right? Experience. They are witnessing what is to to love oneself, not just as a concept, an idea, but experience. Yeah, yeah. I hope yeah. so. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> as much as I can. Yeah, oh, I'm sure you are. Yeah, I can hear in your voice. And I think this is what most parents, yeah, wow, yeah, that's a wonderful message for all parents out there to just be more of what they want to teach their children. And I wanted to say as well that sometimes we as parents may have no clue what we are doing mm -hmm. and that's okay as well. Yeah. So mm -hmm. even if that's happening, it's um, fine because I sometimes, um, and I believe that any parent that is just thinking, okay, what can I possibly do for my children? That already means that they really care for them and they want the best for them and that they are good parents. That's the best definition of being a great parent. Yeah, 
Oh, that's great too. Yeah, because that happens a lot, right? I'm not a parent, so I don't know from experience, but I have heard that they often blame themselves for not doing enough or not being good enough parents. And, and I love what you said now that that's okay too. If we're not 100% or perfect, there's no such a thing in the first place. Yeah, and I think that we will make all sorts of mistakes as well. I think that what's really important that as soon as we are realizing it, um, there is always that space for repair, so to speak. So even if, let's say, someone has a uh, disagreement or says something that they didn't want to, as soon as they can somehow heal it or repair it, then that means a lot. I love in your book, at the end, you have this um, space where we can write, building self-esteem, you have a section on that, and you ask questions, building self-confidence, facing your fears, and um, there's this part that, that's very interesting, you say, separate your fear into small steps, talk about it, examine it, and learn about it. This is very interesting, and challenging to do, right? To examine our fears. But mm -hmm. great. I like the way you did that. Um, how would you get started even if we're afraid of, let's say, what is a good example of fear? Yeah. Okay. Let's say you are scared <laughs> of spiders. Are you scared yeah. of spiders? Um, not really. I don't want to say fear. It's just that, that they are different. So I can approach them with um, cautious. I'm very cautious about <laughs> different creatures. Yeah. Or you can just let me know what's one of the fears and maybe we can talk about it a bit. Right. I'm trying to think here. What am I afraid of? But then I have to understand what fear really is. Uh, afraid, afraid. What am I afraid of? I'm actually, I'm afraid of being trusted and not fulfilling, not in letting people down. That's one of my fears, I would say. Because I love the idea of being trustworthy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there are ways how, when it was written in that book, that you can examine it and learn about it. What you can do is that if you have any kind of uh, fears, I would be curious that if you travel on your timeline from today into the past, were there any incidences when you felt like, uh, it was very important for you to show other people that you are trustworthy or perhaps you were even showing it to people and they may have not picked up on it and you felt disappointed. So um, I would be then uh, inclined to travel through the timeline and pick up these experiences and see what has happened there. And then you can see that we have those steps. So I think uh, anything that we want to build in our life, it often seems like this huge project. So breaking it into smaller parts uh, is an idea. So even let's say uh, it could start with, uh, we could explore, okay, which people do we want to start building that trustworthiness the most at the beginning? And we could perhaps start with people that you feel the most comfortable with and eventually expand your circle. So those could be some of those steps that you can do. I also believe in power of positive visualization. So even if we are scared of something, if you actually visualize as it's really happening, we are then activating and stimulating those intention centers in our brain. 
And our brain, we cannot distinguish if we are just visualizing something and when something is really happening. So it feels almost like we are getting practice. And the more we practice something, the better we are getting at it as well, right? So that's true. So this would be a couple of um, suggestions that uh, people can do to explore the fears and how to work with that. And then, of course, one of the biggest one, which I also try to teach my girls, is that we are scared all the time of all sorts of things in our life. But it's about uh, as soon as we can move from, because we are in our comfort zone, and then we are thinking, okay, what if I go to that unexplored, uncertain area? And we feel afraid of it. And as soon as you step into that and you somehow survive it and you come out of that area, you are once again one step forward and you feel suddenly more confident in what you are doing and you dare a little bit more because the moment we start avoiding situations that we are afraid of, then that fear is just becoming bigger and bigger. That's true. Wow. Yeah, you gave me a lot of tips <laughs> uh, already. <laughs> yeah, because I need to explore that more. I'm into action, doing what I have to do, and also resting. Mm-hmm. So I have that balance between those energies, mm-hmm. feminine and masculine. But uh, in a way, I trust more my feminine energy. <laughs> That's more you know, laid back and kind yeah. and quiet <laughs> than the other one. That's more doing things, getting things done. So maybe that I have to trust more my um, masculine energy. It might be that too. Well, yeah, it would be interesting to explore at least because you don't really have to do anything. It's just to see that whenever we want to expand a bit, to explore those areas that may feel somewhat uncomfortable or a bit uncertain. But interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all, all about that, isn't it, uh, Katarina? About the journey, yeah, within. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Self-discovery. Yeah. I agree. Thank you. So we are almost at the end of the interview and I have a few other questions for you that I call final questions. But before that, would you like to read a passage from your book or mentioned your other book that I didn't mention, your second book, or also add anything that my questions didn't cover? Yeah, I think that we've covered a lot of interesting topics. Pity that we could only talk about them for such a short period of time. And uh, yeah, I wanted to mention my second book, CBT, because it's for children. And I wanted to let everyone know that uh, these two books are available for free on my website. So we released them with my publisher for people just to make them happy. And um, I think that the CBT book also covers part of mindfulness for children and there are some coloring pages and memory game. And it also covers the topic of uh, positive thinking in children, which is uh, linked to cognitive behavioral therapy as well. So, yeah, if anyone would be interested, then they can uh, grab those books. Wonderful. So my final questions, um, how do you define success? What is to be successful to you? Success may be something that we've talked about today. I can see that there are different definitions of success. For some of us, it could be, let's say, materialistic possessions or how much money we earn or uh, where we are career-wise and so on. 
And I defined success when I was talking about facing those fears, like we feel scared and we are doing it anyway. Um, and whenever we pass through that zone that we go for it and do it and survive it and we have grown that success in my point of view. But what I would like to emphasize that it's so important because uh, these days we are so used to having different goals and achieving them and then not looking back anymore. But what's very important is that as soon as we pass that um uh, we step out of our comfort zone into that unexplored area. And when we survive it and get through it, it's so important to step back and just look back and also realize and appreciate that, wow, I'm actually so proud of myself. Maybe it's coming with that self-love as well. I have done this because then it uh, builds as well that confidence for the following steps that are going to come and it keeps us longer in that area so it can increase a sense of happiness and joy as well. Yes, yeah, I agree 100%. My next um, final question is, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself as of today? The hardest lesson would have been probably longer time ago, I was hoping that I can change my surrounding and perhaps some people in my surrounding. And the older I have become, I have realized it's got nothing to do with them. And that the uh, change that I need to bring is to do it within myself. So that was very hard. It felt very uncomfortable. But I think that it also gives a sense of freedom now when we know that because we can also realize that we actually have a lot more control in our hands to um, what we may have believed, for example. So we may also feel more empowered with that. Yeah, yes, so true. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you change anything about your life or do anything differently? Mm -hmm. You mean now entering the life after life? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> wow, all these big philosophical profound questions. Wow, if I would lose my body, I think that I wouldn't really change many things. I may perhaps prioritize my time differently. So, for example, I know that um, life is not about what we have, but about the experiences that we have. And it's about um, the people that matter in our surroundings. So I think if I know that I have very limited time, I may drop uh, the rest of the things that I'm doing and I would spend and give all my love and experiences to my two daughters. Yeah, that makes sense to me that as a mother, yeah, you would do that. My next question is about life after life. Okay. Do you believe in life after life? And if you do, what kind of life is there? Okay. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember the <laughs> lives I had before. <laughs> but I do believe right. in life after life. Uh, I'm not sure whether we have um, a time for maybe a five-minute story. Why I believe it. And yeah, yeah we do. Because yeah. I've mentioned that my dad passed away when I was eight years old. And a few months later, I had a dream. I really wanted this doll when I was small and I wasn't getting it from anyone. And I had a dream that I got it and I could see how it was dressed and how it looked like and everything. 
And then the next morning I woke up and I was very excited. So I said to my mom, this is the doll I'm going to get. And uh, later on that afternoon, we actually went to visit my auntie, who was my dead sister. And when we got there, she opened the doors and she said, I've got a surprise for you in the next room. So I walked there and guess what? There was a present. And when I opened the box, inside of that box was the doll that I dreamed about. And I didn't make much of this story, but maybe five years ago, I went to visit uh, the same auntie and we were talking in the kitchen and I wanted to really express my gratitude for getting that doll because it meant the whole world to me. And then she said, well, you don't know my part of the story. And then she told me that she had a dream about that uh, the night before. And he asked her to go for a walk into the park where they used to go while he was still alive. And he told her, we are going to feed the ducks because that's what they used to do. So my auntie, when she woke up, she said that to her husband and they went to the park for a walk. And she said that nothing was happening. So she fed the ducks and then she started walking home. And as she turned around, she could feel something underneath her shoe and she had no idea. So she looked down and she found a roll of money. So she looked around whether there are any people, whether that money belonged to anyone and no one was there. And she told me that she swore that she couldn't see that roll of money when she was entering uh, that area. So she took the money and she bought presents for me and my two other sisters. And I didn't know that that was the dream that I had. But later in life, I've realized that that was present from my dad. Wow. Yeah. How amazing. So I do life after life and you ask me in what sort of form that I'm not quite sure. I think that perhaps there are different dimensions and uh, I do not really believe uh, in so much in heaven and hell. Uh, so to speak, but I believe that we may have specific uh, experiences based on how we've been behaving, for example, and that uh, we keep, I believe, in the reincarnation and that we keep uh, being born uh, in order to continue whatever we've started in the previous life or wherever we had blockages or uh, that we can somehow every time make the world just a bit better place. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it really shows that everything's connected. It, there's no opposite life and everything's here. It's happening right now, actually. Yeah, there's just life, right, Catalina, in a way, like you said, life after life, only life. I love that. Yeah, just perhaps in different uh, transformations or dimensions but yeah we won't know until we experience that <laughs> true true uh, so my last question um, what are three things about life you know for sure three things I think that uh, life comes in ups and downs that's for sure and I think that every time we um, get through our down we are much more equipped to deal with certain challenges later on. So we are becoming wiser or um, some people call it more resilient or stronger or whatever word people would like to use for that. 
And I think that whenever we are in that down spiral, that it's so important to get through that with someone else. They do not even need to help us, but sometimes it's just okay to talk to someone or lean on someone, gain different perspective. And that would bring me to the third part, that that's why it's so important to choose other friends really wisely. These are three aspects, as I see like today. Perhaps if you ask me in five years' time, I may change once again. <laughs> I hope I'll be wiser again. <laughs> true. So true. Yeah, that's another beautiful acknowledgement that life is changed, right? It's constantly changing, right? And we are life itself. Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation. It has been meaningful and wonderful. Thank you for your presence and your wisdom. Likewise, thank you for having me. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? I've got two websites. So one is my name, long name, so www.katarinagaborova.com. And then the other one may be perhaps easier for people to find me. It's www.psychologistindiehake.com. Thank you so much again, Katarina, and we'll talk soon. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Katarina Gaborova, please visit her website, katarinagaborova.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Bye.